Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. We um, It's been a little bit since we've been in this studio. It's nice, actually, to be back in here. We talk constantly all day long yep. to each other and to a lot of other people. And what I keep hearing over and over again every single day is, Catch me up on what's going on. Let me know what's happening. Do we, um, can you get us some more information? Can you, uh, can we send, can you do more with a, a, a newsletter? Can you do, they, everybody's wanting information from us. Um, and there's a really good reason why. And we'll get to that in just a second. So we're going to, um, do a new format for the show because of that. But before I want to give a shout out to somebody that we've all heard the name, but sometimes people forget why we know who this person is. And I've gotten to work with her uh, quite a bit lately, Lola Spradley. Mm -hmm. So of course, Lola Spradley was the first woman speaker of the house in Colorado. And she is her institutional memory of things that are going on will just blow anybody away. And I, I keep saying it, it bears repeating, um, except for the running for office part. When I grow up, I want to be Lola Spradley. She is a smarter and sharper than any of the rest of us. And she has been serving on our Action 22 Broadband Committee. And I'm telling you, we would not be anywhere on that work if it wasn't for Lola. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to her. She's just, she's a force of nature. Um, You've dealt with her over the years a few times. I've bought many cars from her. My family has bought many cars from the Spradley family. (laughs) And and probably half a Pueblo. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. they they have a dealership here. But But outside of that, yeah, I've I've worked with her for years on the political side. In the telecom business, um, I'm sure at one point or another she's yelled at you. Probably, yeah, actually, because I thought, she was mad at me for something, but she wasn't. No, she's so. she just she's very no nonsense and she gets it done. But um, Lola, we appreciate you and all the work that you still and continuously do for um, the for Coloradans. And we know that a lot of times that work um, they have no idea what you've done for them. But uh, we wanted to recognize that and continuing what you're doing. Like they yes. don't realize all the work that you're still doing for all of us down here in Colorado. Southern yeah. Colorado. And, and you're doing it because of your love of state and, yep. and we appreciate it. Um, she, you're not, she's not a high price consultant or anything like that. She just really wants to get things done. Yep. So we've, we've had some interesting things happen in this region lately, especially with regard to media. Yeah. So, um, any, if anybody from outside of Pueblo, they, they may not be aware of this, but the Pueblo Chieftain was one of the largest, I think it was the second largest newspaper in Colorado right. at one point, but the Chieftain provided news to basically all of Southern Colorado. There, there still are smaller press shops, you know, in Alamosa, um, some of these smaller towns have their own kind of local papers, but, but the Pueblo Chieftain, you know, it covered all the news for the region. Um, I, I remember 
my friend was a paper delivery guy and he was like waking up every morning at four to drive to Trinidad to drop off papers and even as far down to Raton to drop off um, the chieftain. But in recent years, they were purchased by a larger news conglomerate group. Um, and, and it was fine. It happens, whatever. But as it went on, we just, we saw them kind of, you know, they closed the print shop. Now they're selling the building. Um, a lot of their stories are kind of just national newsline stories. Right. There's a lot of clickbait, but the, the real local regional coverage kind of went away there. They do still have an aspect and I'm, I don't want to hate on them because everybody's hating on the chieftain right now, right. but it's just not the same as it used to be. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's um, a community paper. Like we own it. It always, yeah. we grew up and that was our paper. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's just a paper that, yeah. you know. That gets out there. Well, and the local, the local happenings, you'll hear about it three days later. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it just isn't, it isn't ours anymore. So as that has happened, um, we, and not really thinking about it, we've gotten a lot of requests of late to increase um, our discussion. And of course, action 22's mission is to create a stronger voice for Southern Colorado yep. for the 22 counties we serve. And so, um, we've, we're d- working on something and, and we need everybody's help. Um, in order to do this right, we need everybody's help, but we're sort of reformatting. Yeah. Rebranding. Um, and we haven't been consistent lately. And every time we do a show, it's like, oh, sorry, we haven't been consistent. Um, right. we're starting it next week, every week. But that being said, um, uh, we will be rebranding everything. Um, there will be, you know, the, the podcast is going to be free still just the same. We're going to, you know, once a week, maybe more have a show, same guests, same issues, educate you about what's going on, introduce some of the candidates as we go into the political season again, mostly for Pueblo, for the the mayor's race. But right. next year is going to be a huge election year. Um, so you're going to start to see the candidates come on and, and talk about what you know they, they're running on, the issues and stuff like that. But in addition to that, we want to offer the extra content as well. So um, keep your eyes peeled over the next week or two. You'll start to see this. Um, you'll see it online just on the action22.org website. But along with social media, you'll see making action happen, separate social media come up. Mm-hmm. And then also Patreon. We're going to we're gonna yeah. dip our toes into Patreon for um, those that want to subscribe and hear further conversations. And I promise, too, that um, there'll be there'll be a little more red meat conversations on there as well. So, you know, we could do everything from how does Brian or how does Sarah really feel about this? Or how does our board <laughs> member feel? A lot of editorial content, I believe. Um, and also some some ask me anything type stuff and more participation from you, the listeners with us to kind of get that show, uh, like the subscription side. What, what do you want to hear from us? What, what do you want to, how do you want to know we feel about certain things, you know, right. personally, professionally, but, um, a- making action happen is the official podcast of action 22. Um, and I always say, you know, even though we're their official podcast, the opinions and views expressed on making action happen do not necessarily represent the opinions and views of our board or our membership. Absolutely. But, but this will give us a, a way to kind of let some of those opinions out separate from action 22 for people that are interested in hearing. And you know, if not, Okay, we're just going to try it. So, 
a part of that being that really strong voice is that everybody gets to, you know, gets to express opinions. And, you know, we see so much of that on social media and it's not, it's not always very healthy and we're not journalists. No, not at all. We're not, we're not saying that we're going to be the journalists. We're, yeah. the we just want to bring, um, some of the issues that we're dealing with in Southern Colorado up front that may or may not be being covered by the media right now. And if you've worked with us at all, or if you are a long time listener to the show, we um, will have really honest opinion. I mean, honest yes. discussions. It's just an honest discussion and um, a little lengthier than, and than what we um, would see on social media or even in um, a regular news report. And there's, there's a lot of great journalism going on um, around. We don't, that's, Again, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for, let's have this honest discussion and, and let's look at um, why we feel the way we feel. And again, the issues we work on aren't the sexiest issues. No. They're the they're the meat and potatoes of what's really going on um, in rural Colorado and how decisions that are being made are affecting us. And uh, we have really great partnerships um not just with our members, but with other organizations and associations. Um, and then I was I was on the phone with the legislator this morning, um, and uh, he him and I were discussing that we can't. There's so much I need to be briefed more, and we can't chase these everybody around to brief them on this issue or that yeah. issue. So this is this is the other part of that is we we brief our board. But uh, everybody else needs to get here's here's what's going on, and this is why we're taking the strategy that we're taking. This is why we're looking at it the way we're looking at it. Um, this is why we're asking the from the input from the people that that we are. Um, there's just a lot of layers and nuances to to what and how we do the things that we do. Yeah. So we're hoping to share, do a better job of sharing that with all of you. So that sort of leads us into, Oh wait, so where we're still going to be able to find everything. Yeah, nothing will change. You'll be able to find it everywhere that you find it. Now there'll just, just be, be more content, stuff, more stuff. For you to find. And, and if you want to support us, we, we need the support. We need the help. So we need not only your input, but there's a subscription now. Yep. Yeah, and we'll talk about that when it goes live. Okay. That's perfect. So that sort of leads us into the our um, project that we started last year that we just finished the first cohort of. Brian, give us a report on the Academy. Yeah, this is the, a big deal. The Leadership Policy and Governance Academy finally wrapped up. Um, I'm still getting everything put together for the closing, the post-Academy stuff going into the next one. Um, we did it. It was seven months. We had, uh, ironically, there were more that went through it, but at the graduation, 22 people showed up, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. <laughs> Which proper. is what we were shooting for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a few, few of them had to be out of town. But um, the, the biggest thing with it, uh, going through the coursework, it was, it was fine. It was great. It was fantastic. You know, everybody learned a lot. Some of them knew more than others in certain areas. Some didn't have any knowledge of how the government works from a local level to a federal level. And so that was really important. But I think the best or the biggest thing to come out of it was this diverse group of leaders and upcoming leaders from the region getting together for seven months, two days a month for seven months, and building those relationships where you have a county manager or city manager from one town um, now reaching out and working on projects with the city manager from another town or a county commissioner or city council person, you know, you just name it. Um, so it really did build this strong group, connected group, 
of people from Southern Colorado and some from Denver. There were a couple from Denver, although they, we claim them for Southern Colorado cause they, they're either from here or they do work down here. But, um, that was the biggest takeaway for me is you now have this network of people and resources that they can call on and call on each other for help. And they've already been doing it. They've been doing it nonstop. On top of that, we had everybody draft some legislation, which, amazing. um, that, that really is a snapshot of the issues that they find important and care about in their regions or their, their business or industry or government. Um, cause not everybody was a government employee or an elected official. We right. had nonprofit people, we had business development, economic development type people. And it really showed, uh, what direction and what they need to be successful down here and what their concerns are. It's none of, I, there, there were a few bills that you would consider like more messaging, controversial stuff, which is fine. Um, but the rest of them, like 99% of the bills that they came up with by the end of it are very common sense, smart solutions to issues they're facing. So with that, um, by the time you hear this, you know, these bills will go to our board. We're going to be shopping those around. We're going to talk, we're already talking to legislators about them and groups that that are supporting this to hopefully get these bills or something similar. That's the other important thing that I, I told the, the Academy fellows is that, Hey, it may not be exactly what you wrote or what you want to see, but guaranteed that if you show this to a legislator when they're working on their legislation or drafting an amendment or whatever, they're going to take this in consideration. So just in the fact that you drafted this bill is going to influence the way, if not this bill is introduced, but another bill that's introduced similar and kind of show a different perspective to it. So we, we got that. We had um, a, a few of our Academy fellows testify on legislation because they were consistently during the classes and instruction, you know, asking about how this legislation is going to impact us. Sarah would do a great job at the beginning of every class kind of saying, hey, this is what we're working on. These are the issues and bills we're taking positions on, and this is why. And actually, that caused some of our Academy fellows to go up and testify um, that that really did change some legislation that would have been harmful to the area for Southern Colorado. It it ended up being um, an amazing, amazing tool. And the level of the bills, the level of understanding of the bills, um, were was just uh, far exceeded our expectations. I think my big takeaway, um, and and we heard from all of the fellows about you know what meant the most to them, and and uh, I think the the general consensus is the of their top um, takeaways was just that network that they were yeah. able to create. Yeah, that's the most important thing. I think. I think one of the things that's hard in rural communities. I know it's a it's a struggle for for both of us. Um, is that we are so entrenched in the work, we have to wear so many hats that sometimes the work is all consuming and it's, it's hard to, to lift our head above and, and, you know, um, get those, get people together. But this was, we saw, we saw their leadership development. For sure. Well, it's but, also, they're separated geographically too. Right. So if you're in, in an urban area, you know, the next county is in the same city sometimes. In this, you know, that you have county commissioners, county managers that they're like 120 miles away. Right. They can't just go over there and see what's going on, nor do they have the time or resources to do that. And for them to be in the room, now they they built that relationship that they couldn't build in the past to say like, Hey, we're working on this. What are you guys doing? Or like, how can you help us with this? How can we help you with that? You know, stuff like that. So the other one I think for me was to watch the dramatically, especially coming in the dramatically differing political views 
Yeah. And then you saw you saw a um, a growth, I guess, an evolution of okay. Why do you why do you think the way you think? Help me understand what it is, and then for them to come back and sort of use an opposing view to to tweak the the bills that they were writing yeah. or to um, make a connection that they hadn't before. That was um, yep. Gosh. If we can do it in that kind of close space, I think we can see some major, some major changes oh, yeah. statewide. It was amazing. Yeah, they, there were different. You know, we we ran it very nonpartisan, but the reality is, is you can't run something completely nonpartisan when all this legislation's coming up that's impacting their areas negatively, and then he's like, they come to realize, like, well, this is what happens when you have a super majority in this, right. you know, so it was a bit partisan, but we had people that were on the far left of things to the, you know, far right of things sitting together, working on solutions. And, you know, I think at the end, in the end, everybody that went through is friends, regardless where they stand politically. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We saw some, we saw some um, remarkable, um, yeah, some remarkable, remarkable friendships, um, that come out yeah. of that. I think the other, uh, the other thing that we did and it was <laughs> there's some hubris in everything that we there's a, a flavor of that in everything that we do i think but um we purposely did it uh so that it was overlapping the legislative session and yeah. so um in one of the more difficult um sessions in his in in recent, recent memory history, yeah, yeah in recent history Not history but recent history yeah recent recent memory um for sure this was uh and for us to do this at, this was a trial by fire. I mean, honestly, yeah. there was aspects of this that we were building the plane as we were flying it. Um, and uh, we we were really thrilled with that. So so what's next for the Academy? So, um, I like I said, working all the on all the post-Academy wrap-ups. So if anybody from the Academy is listening, you should have got an email from me yesterday. But it's to keep that alumni connection, uh, keep make it as easy as possible where they can go and still interact with each other, which now is more virtual than in person. So there's that, um, building out some of the communications, electronic stuff. The one thing that I was terrible about at this, and it's probably because it was the first time and we were busy and stressed and all this was, um, the social media aspect, the Right. Press releases. So we need to do better on that, but that is coming. You'll see that. And then on our website, Again, action22.org. Um, you will see an academy section where, where it's going to go through and explain how it worked and what's next and how to get involved with the next one. And the people that went through the academy the first round, they're going to mentor the next group in. And I believe we're going to start taking applications or recommendations. Um, again, you have to be uh, sponsored or yeah, recommended an by an by a, endorsement by the action 20, uh, an action 22 board member or the foundation, board. the foundation board member, or one of the Academy fellows that already went through it. Yeah. So we'll be working on that. And I think by October, we're going to have a good idea who's going to go through it. So in the meantime, keep checking back on the website, give it about two more weeks. So say like mid to 
almost the end of August, you'll see a section if this is what you're interested in. Um, you can actually email me now. It's just academy at action22.org if you're interested or know somebody that does. But the process will be explained. The curriculum will be on there. So you'll, you'll have all the information of how to get in if that's what you want to do and what we're going to do on the next one. And then we'll launch the next, I guess, cohort in January like we did with this last one. We did. So we'll talk um, – our our intent this year because we never we never are satisfied with continuing to do the same thing that's always been done it's it's a mental issue that i have i don't i can't explain it i don't have an official diagnosis for this but um what our intent is is for the next class that we would offer this statewide for the first cohort we offered that in our region yeah um, except for two people from denver there were two people from well but they but were, they work in our region. But they were Action Twenty Two members. Yes, they, they are. Yeah. They so, are. so um, we will um, will be offering um, statewide um, this next year. Uh, so stay tuned for more on that. So I wanted to pose today a bit of a philosophical question because uh, my time of the last um, few weeks and um, and since um, the session ended. Uh, has been devoted to um, this to broadband. We swore we weren't going to get him yep. the broadband game. I made promises to you that I broke, Brian. Well, and I'm really we, the, sorry. La- the last show that we have up is a broadband episode that's I know. two hours long. And if I mean, if you're in broadband, it's a great show. But if not, it's <laughs> you, not you very exciting. You don't know. I think I said like five words on the whole thing. Um, so let me let me tell you um, the the thing that. So here's the philosophical philosophical question that I'm going to pose that I'm will pose right now, and it has to do with broadband, but it um, it doesn't because I think the sort of this question that we're facing right now we're going to see it in a lot of other places. So I wanted your thoughts on it, and, and let's um, let's talk about it for just a second. The a lot of money is going out for infrastructure and it's not just on broadband, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of money um, that goes, that's going out, that's going, and it's going to happen over the next couple of years. Yeah. So those are technically public funds, meaning that they either come from the federal government, they come from the state, they're taxpayer funds. That's how they that's how they make their money. Yep. So the question is, um, really, how should though that funding be utilized? Is it should it just go to what's the public benefit? What's the public good? The question that we're facing right now with regard to broadband is just that: should all of the funding go through? Um, a state entity um, or a local government, or should there be public private partnerships attached to that? Um, And what we're facing right now is um, CDOT has been directed to, um, to create a, a fee, a right of way access fee. This is where this gets really complicated. Um, does a does a private or a public entity 
have the right or do they have the duty to recover costs? Or do they have a right or duty to create new revenue? This is the question we're facing right this minute. Okay. So so let me say that they were directed by the the first the governor and then the legislature to create a right of way fee for broadband. Okay. And what is a right of way fee for broadband? So if you have um so this is the other thing that's complicated. The state um already owns a good deal of fiber and it goes along roadways. And um, the thing that's great about that is that you have um, you it's it's the most efficient, right? So that it's already there. The structure's already there. So in order to access that structure as part of a bigger plan, um, what what are the costs of that? Because it's not just fiber, but there's also other utilities like electric, water, um, those things that go along because that roadways that yeah. it's already there. Like yeah. the access is already there. Um, so the question is, should those right of way fees to access that fiber that's there? Um, what should that fee be based on? Should so it be based right, on the, the right of way fee is paying CDOT to access their fiber? Yes. Okay. That's what. We yeah. So it's, it's to access their so fiber. So it's saying we have fiber. If you want to access it, you need to pay us a fee. Right. And the fight is how much should the fee be? Should the fee be based on, should be the fee, the fee be based on recovery of um, cost or should it be, should it be a revenue source for CDOT? So should the fee be pay for the fiber going there? That's it. Right. So that, that would be recovery of cost, right? Mm -hmm. So the fee to tie into CDOT's broadband or fiber or whatever you want to call it, um, should that be the equivalent of just repaying the cost of how much it costs them to put it there? Or can they charge market value for that and make right. money off of it? Correct. Okay. So that's really the very basic question. Now there's so all kinds be, of layers and nuances above that. But, but what it boils down to is a state government agency making money off of what they already have. Yes. Okay. So that gets into the real philosophical side is can a government agency be in the business of profit? Right. So, so what this fight is over is can they profit off of this and make money or can they just recoup their costs? Correct. Right. And I think that I personally think that it's not the government's wheelhouse to be in the profit industry or the market industry or free market industry or what. So basically they're making themselves a player in the free market is what it is. They are. Okay. With taxpayer money. Right. So the way the government makes money is from our taxes and now they want to charge us more money. They're still charging us taxes on all this stuff, but they want to generate revenue. Correct. Okay. (laughs) So to add one more layer to this um, philosophical question um, should the taxpayer dollars, federal taxpayer dollars that have been designated to Colorado, the $846, and 41 cents billion. We'll just say, let's just say a billion. a billion. I know. I just like to say that because yeah. it was such a specific number, like down to the penny. Oh, yeah. I don't they know what it do is that. except for 
and and forty one cents. I was like, yeah, no, okay, they, they do that. They, I know it's the treasury. Department. It's just kind of cute. It it's yeah. kind of cute. Um, the so to add to that, um, there are those that feel like since that is public funds, only public entities should be able to access that. So, okay, so backing up a little bit, so they have this money to lay this fiber where they're going to build it regardless. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out if they want to profit off of it or just get back the money they spent on it. Fine. Okay. And now they're saying, well, this is taxpayer dollars. So a private company should not have access to this, that only another governmental agency can have access to it. There are those who feel very strongly that that is the case. Do those people feel it's okay for a government agency to make a profit though? Um, I think so. I think that's along that same vein. So we're, we're talking about a billion dollars here. And so everybody's going to try who's, who's in the industry. And now we're seeing people who aren't in the industry yeah. trying to access and get a hold of that billion dollars. Okay. So the argument can be made that, well, uh, an ISP or an independent um, service provider of broadband is going to make money off of this, off of these. Pod- okay. So, so now going to it. So now they're saying that, well, if Comcast wants to tie into this, they're going to make a profit off of it. So they're profiting off of taxpayer funds. That's, that's what they're saying. But at the same time, CDOT's like, Hey, we kind of figured out how to make a profit off of this and they're profiting off of taxpayer funds if it goes that way. Yes. So are they proposing that a private ISP partner with a government to tie into it, to make it kind of like above board, like, okay, so AT&T or Comcast, and I'm just picking on them because they're the first to come to mind. I'm not saying they're doing yeah, this, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but so they're like, okay, so you as a private company, we'll call it Brian McCain net. So Brian McCain net <laughs> as a private company, you cannot access this fiber because it's paid for by taxpayer funds. But if you partnered with Pueblo County, then you could access the funds, but you're partnered with the government and then all kinds of stuff comes with that. Yeah. So, so you make a really good point. So, um, McCain net wants to, um, do a build out you've already, you've already invested and you've already done a build out and you probably have already gotten some, um, funds cause we're in rural Colorado. Yeah. Um, you've already gotten some funds, um, for this. So that argument is still kind of BS because there are these, ISPs are already getting taxpayer funds to build out and make a profit on. Um, yes. Um, but so, and profit is relative, but yeah, yeah, but, but an ISP, a private company, their number one goal is to make a profit. That's That's their mission. They're, they're going to deliver a service and they're going to get money in return for it. So they're already making a profit off a taxpayer money because they're getting funding from the government, whether it's through grants, programs like Mm -hmm. CAF2 funding or CAF funding or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the people that are saying that a a private company should not be able to make a profit off of taxpayer funds. Beginning now or or what? Is this like a new thing? Because, or are they thinking this is a way to cut out private companies from running the internet and make it a state utility? Ding, ding, ding. So here's, here's the other interesting part of it. There are some local governments that are 
ready to jump in and do, do to do this. There are ones that do that. Yeah, those are the ones here in Colorado. There's well, there's that. two of them in the Action Twenty Two footprint, yeah, and they're the already down. Areas. They've been working on this for some time, and so yeah. they're already down that road. The primary reason that they're that um, those local governments have um, tried to is are jumping in the broadband. Uh, is because it does not pencil any other way. So, so if yeah, you're going to do, it's the, there's no profit in it. There's right? no so profit. There's no like private ISP that's going to go to a mountain county and drop a billion dollars to run fiber through a mountain for 75 households. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the local government comes in, and they're like, you know what? We're going to own this. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to make this like a county or a city utility. utility yeah and there's other there's other counties in, in colorado there's either uh, even other municipalities in colorado so it's like they already did with done trash. this they've done it with trash and right Denver. yeah it's the so, same thing so if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't i've talked to but it's not a one-size-fit-all is what i'm saying no it's not a one-size-fit-all i talked to a county administrator this morning and they said we do not want to own or maintain we don't have the capacity. We we can't do it. We know that we can't do it. Yeah, and I I mean honestly too, like if a local government owned your broadband service, like customer support's not oh gosh the number one yeah. thing that the government's good at. And, and they're not good at, at keeping costs down. They're yeah. not like so. There's a lot of arguments, but basically they don't want to. But we're trying to shove this in that direction. So yeah. the the scenario that you just laid out, where if you work with a local government, you can do it this way, and that's what they're they're proposing. But again, it's not a one size fits all. There's um, there's uh, successful examples on the Western Slope, for example, of these public private partnerships, and there's even ones that are here. Yeah, but. Um, there's a lot of shenanigans going on and I think, and this is, this is strictly, this is strictly my own opinion. It's not the opinion of anybody else. This is strictly my own opinion, but I really worry about um, sort of forcing um, the scenario. Like if you're going to get, if you're going to get broadband in your region, local government leaders, you have to do this yeah. and you have to do this and you have to do this. And, and we're not really interested like forcing something onto it's it becomes an unfunded mandate. Yeah. The other problem is that the right of way fee, and this is going to change, and and they've changed it a few times, but this right of way fee that CDOT and and by the way, CDOT would be the most efficient thing. So CDOT could fill gaps. CDOT could play a very important role in this. They could fill gaps. So, for example, there needs to be more fiber up over Monarch Pass. Mm-hmm. There's not enough. Um, the most the most efficient way to do that would to be for CDOT, you know, to do yeah. that and own that fiber. It would be a connector. CDOT could be a connector, um, but not for the that. end all be all. But not the end all be all. Because here's the other thing that I didn't mention: their right of way fee proposal is per foot on an annual basis. So if you have a county or a city that's like 75 miles from a CDOT road. Well, I guess they wouldn't be that far, but we'll say 10 miles. We'll say 10 miles. It's per foot and it's annually. So how much are they looking at charging per foot? So they've changed that several times, but I think the last one was let's, let's make it, let's make it a really simple um, number. Let's say it's 50 cents. 
because it was like 40 and it depends on where it's at it's if it's close to urban then it's it's a little bit more if it's out a little bit further right, i'm going to do the math on this okay so do the Go math on, so. on it <laughs> this is how bad i am i have to look at how many feet are in a mile because i always forget um hold on stand by 5280 yeah, 5280 50, yep mm-hmm. 5280 so 5280 feet uh, the mile high city every 50, magazine is called 5280 right i did the same thing about that. a week ago i didn't realize that like 5280 strategies why it was named that until i was like oh the mile high city sorry mike sorry mike no 5280 i did the same thing i go i asked tj the other day i was like i was okay. trying to do this math and i go let's let's just say they have to connect a mile off of the dot stuff so yeah. so how much a foot so fit let's say 50 50 cents a foot would be 2640 dollars for a mile for a mile annually. and we're talking about and that's just a mile that's not that's like just the whole one thing. mile yeah. so that's one mile so now times that by 15 miles which would be the average um 39,600 39,600 annually which is a lot for a small county that's probably going to be the ones utilizing this. so let's say that's 40 or not a small county but small <laughs> a low populated county that doesn't have that their budget is like not that right so to access that fee and that fee would be for whether it's a county or um or an isp yeah if they allow it to be sold directly to the isp so the idea is um you connect and then the isp whoever is provider whether it's a local government or it's or it's a provider an isp then that's who would have to pay for it. So that's so, additional so let's cost. Do, let's do this. So say the area they're paying 39,000. We'll just, we'll keep it simple. So ISP county, whatever. So 39,000. 39, so just round up to 40,000 for 75 households. Yeah. So say 75 people, I was going to go higher, like maybe a few hundred. So we'll do 40,000 and say that there's, well, no, we'll be, we'll be generous. We'll say that that provides broadband to 250 people. Mm-hmm. That's, um, you know, $160 a year that they would recoup from some. The, so divide the that by, user. so divide that by 12. I mean, this doesn't seem like a lot, but it piles up and it could be a lot more, but that's like 13 bucks a so month. So that's an additional $13 a month. That's an additional $13 a month on a bill that, that a lot of these folks can't al- yeah. already can't afford. Yeah. So if we're talking about, so when that adds up, so one of the estimates, and this isn't even close. So what we just did was a very small estimate. One of the ones that we looked at was going to be $150,000 additional cost per year for 75 households. So that's a lot of money. So what was, you know, the work that we did before, what was the number one reason that people didn't access um, well, they didn't want it or they couldn't afford it. They and, couldn't afford yeah. it. So imagine $150,000 for 75 households. That would be 166 bucks a month. That's an additional 166 bucks a month. And an ISP is not going to do it if they're, an ISP is not going to lose money off of it. So maybe that's worth a, oh, if the government owns it, who cares if they lose money. We'll just get money from other people. So, um, but this, but the directive of the governor and we agree with this, 
um, was 99% of households in Colorado have access by 2027. Here's a billion dollars. Right now, 85% of households in Colorado. So this is not, this, this is just for an additional 15, yeah. 14, 15%. I, I personally think that 99% is, that's a little too high. I would say 90% would be good. Because there's going to be, there's a percentage of the population that's in an area that either doesn't want broadband or there's no way in heck that they can get broadband. It's, it's going to cost, it's going to cost. I know just to run so much. fiber over, oh, where was it at? Um, it, was, it was somewhere in the mountains. It's like they wanted to run fiber 10 miles to connect the small area. And it was like $280 million to run it. It may not have even been 10 miles. Yeah. It was basically a mountain ski resort community. So they're all complaining they don't have internet, but it was going to be like a quarter of a billion dollars to basically run 10 miles of fiber. Um, and, the, and that's because the, um, geography, the geography of, just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so that's why it's important to do this. And so, um, my main complaint, let, let me, ha- let me ask this. So in the 99% connected, uh, that the governor wants us to do, is that only fiber? Um, it's a high speed, it's affordable, high speed internet. That's so th- what he's saying. Doesn't matter if it's fiber or if it it's satellite it doesn't or matter. if it's line it's, of sight. It's yeah, it doesn't, okay. it doesn't say you have to, it, this has to be fiber. It doesn't say okay. what the, what the vehicle has to be. Okay. That's, it just says that. And, and I, I for one appreciate a lofty goal on this. I don't know if it's attainable. I don't think it is, but it's good that it's not just fiber because a lot of times on the federal side of it, it has to be wired internet. It has to be oh, hardwired yeah. internet. It can't be anything else. So mm-hmm. that's good that it's because you could it, do um, fixed wireless in areas like look at Crestone and you know. What well, they there. exactly. So, so when you're talking about, so here's my here's our my other problem with this, and this is just again, this is just my opinion. As we're having these discussions about. Um, who should own the infrastructure? Who should who should pay for it? Should it be a revenue source, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. My my internal scream is what about these households, these families? Like who's advocating for them? Are they are you actually thinking about No, they're them? not. No, that's they're, that's my problem. But they're in their mind the way that they're thinking is we have to get this laid out. And it's kind of like picking the the problems in order. It's like, okay, like we want internet and broadband to everybody. Um, and you're going to say like, well, we're not thinking if they can afford it or not. And they're like, we don't even have the infrastructure. So we're going to focus on how can we get this infrastructure out right now? And then we'll tackle the problem as if, if they can afford it. And then we'll talk about like programs and how to bring the cost down. So I think that's how they're thinking because that's how the government thinks. It's like, mm when they build a building, it's, it always goes over cost and, you know, they're not thinking of the end cost. They're like, we need this building now. Let's build it. The VA hospital, $800 million to build it ended up being $2.7 billion. And 10 years later, same thing. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen with this broadband thing is they're like, here's a billion dollars connect 99.9% of Colorado. And then they're going to get a billion dollars into it and be like, crap, we ran out of money. How are we going to pay for the rest of this? It'll be like a bridge to nowhere, right? So, It'll right. be broadband to nowhere. They're going to have plenty of broadband covering the highway or whatever, but nothing running out. So any project that 
anybody ever does ever is you're going to build a house. How much, what's your budget? And then you work backwards from there. We do on government stuff. We do exactly the opposite. We say, um, this is, this is how much you we're going to give you. Now figure out how to do it for that amount of money. Yeah. It's completely backwards. Yeah. I mean, that's, but that's kind of that's how ASA work. They, know, it's like I we know. have money to give out for this problem. We're not giving the money based on how much it costs. We're giving the money out based on how much we have or how much we're authorized to give out. So I understand that, but it is not how you would do something in the real world at all. It's just the government likes to take a lot of money and they like to throw a lot of money out and they don't really care what happens sometimes. Um, so I'll tell you that uh, the Action 22 Broadband Committee has been meeting since April. Um, and we want to thank, uh, we want to thank, um, Pueblo County. Uh, that's the other shout out I, I give, um, to, for giving us some support on that because we, we prioritized this over some other things that we were working on. Um, and the reason that we prioritized it was, um, you know, these are one-time dollars, but also deadlines, um, are really looming. And we had so many of our members come to us, um, asking for us to help. So, um, we went to some of our partners and our friends and asked them for their help so that we could help everybody. And, and we want to say thank you to them on that. Let me just say that, um, we, we are coming up with how to navigate all this. Um, and we'll keep you posted on what some of those things are, but we wanted to update you because I've, uh, I've given like, 15 of these updates in the last probably three days alone. Um, and, uh, I, I, it was something that's been kind of looming and I don't think that broadband is going to be the only one that are facing these challenges in the yeah. next little bit with all this infrastructure money coming out. So, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. I would yeah. love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, what you think, um, how you think this approach is, is great. It's the right one, or you think it's, um, completely backwards or, you know, what are, what am I not seeing? Help me understand. So you can, um, send me a, uh, send me an email at, uh, show at action 22.org. Yep. And with that, um, I'll do the disclaimer. Oh, wait, we need to talk about, before we do that, we need to talk about the annual meeting. So keep an eye out, go to our webpage, click on the tab. Our annual meeting's coming up in October. It's going to be two days. We're doing it as a meeting slash expo because we want all of our members and people that we work with to show off what they're working on. Yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah, And and, uh, it's going to be at the UCCS cybersecurity building. Um, We're holding it in Colorado Springs this time because um, we want to show El Paso County what we're about in our region. And sometimes it's tough because everybody has schedules and especially in a busy city and Colorado Springs is a very busy city right now. Um, you know, it's tough to get all of them out to our region, but our region loves to go on and show off and come up there. So we're going to bring rural Colorado to El Paso County and El Paso County is a member and they're in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're they're part of the action 22 footprint. So keep an eye out for that. There's sponsorship opportunities. Again, go to the website, action 22.org, click at the tab at the top. You'll see the information when we nail down a solid date, which should hopefully be by the time you're listening to this, this, it will be, all be on the webpage. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And again, making action happen is the official podcast of action 22, but the views and opinions expressed on here do not necessarily if, um, represent, sorry, 
tongue-tied, the views and opinions of our board or members. Uh, Chad Vorthman, you space cowboy, I know you're listening. We hope that uh, you can make a landing in our area again real soon because we sure miss your face. Thank you. All right. Bye. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.